My name is Adam. I'm part of the team here. It's wonderful to have you with us this morning. We're going to open the Bible now. You can turn to Psalm 84. If you don't have your Bible with you, uh, which I would encourage you to do, bring your, your Bible along to church. But if you don't have it with you, you can follow along on the screen as I read. Or if you have a growth group guide with you, we've also printed the scripture reading in there. And so you can follow along on page 15 of the growth group guide if you have that with you. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bacar, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It leads us to Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Speak to us today, Lord. Teach us, change us for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a teenager, one of my favourite movies was Happy Gilmore. Now, maybe you've seen it. Uh, the clicker's not really working for me. I've got it turned on, I think. No, nothing. You might have to... Oh, there we go. This is one of my favourite movies. Happy Gilmore. Now, Adam Sandler in this movie... This was early Adam Sandler, so it was actually funny. But Adam Sandler is an ice hockey player with a bad temper. Now, after missing out on the hockey team, he decides to take up golf. And he discovers that he's actually pretty good at it. Because of his hockey background, he can hit the ball further than anyone else. He can reach the green quicker than anybody else that he is playing. But of course, like many people who play golf, including myself, his problems begin once he gets on the green. He can't putt. He hits the ball too far and he gets so angry and so worked up that he just, it all goes bad. And so his coach comes up with an idea. 
He encourages happy to go to a happy place. To find a place in his mind that that makes him happy, that will calm him down so he can hit the ball calmly and not let his anger take over. Now, I won't tell you what's in Happy Gilmore's happy place because I don't want to get in trouble from church council. But I will say, thanks Gary, that we all have happy places. We all have these places that bring us contentment and peace and joy. Maybe for you it's the beach. Maybe it's a good book at home. Maybe it's in the garage tinkering on a car or in the garden. Maybe it's a certain holiday destination. We all have these places that make us happy. And we're not, when we're not in these places, we long for them. We long for the weekend so we can go home. We long for the end of the day so that we can go play in the garden. We long for the end of the year so we can go to that holiday destination. We all have these happy places. And in Psalm 84, which we read just a moment ago, we see the psalmist longing for a certain place. He tells us that there is no greater place in the universe. It is the happiest of happy places. It's a place of ultimate rest, ultimate peace, ultimate joy. And of course he's talking about the presence of God. Verse 1, he says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. He's saying the greatest place in the universe is the presence of God. He says it's the happiest of happy places. There is no happiness that compares to the presence of God. This is why he uses the word blessed three times in that psalm. Verse 4, he says, Blessed is the one who dwells in your house, those whose strength is in you, who trust in you. The word blessed could literally be translated as happy. There's no happiness on earth that compares to knowing God. Now last week we started our journey to become awake and alive to God in 2019. We started a new series through the book of Psalms to reawaken, to revive, to deepen our relationship with God. Last week we saw the first step to coming alive to God is to get honest with God. It's to repent of our heartlessness and our hypocrisy and to offer him our wholehearted worship. This week we're going to see that the second step is to realise, to deeply know that there is no better place in the universe than the presence of God. That true true rest, true joy, true contentment is freely available to us and it's found in God. And we need to be very, very clear on this because the truth is we don't always believe this deep down. Sometimes we have small and unflattering thoughts about God. 
Sometimes we don't long for God's presence because we believe that deep down he's frowning and frustrated with us. Because we believe that he's always disappointed in us. And so we don't long for his presence. If anything, we keep ourselves at a distance. Psalm 84 is in the Bible to blow up this kind of false thinking. One scholar, D.A. Carson, writes and he says, This psalm exalts in the sheer privilege and delight of abiding in the presence of God. And this is the point of Christianity. This is why Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. Look at what we read in 1 Peter chapter 3. Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, that's Christ. For the unrighteous, that's you and me. Why? That he might bring us to God. Through the finished work of Christ on the cross, we have been brought to God. Through the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit, we have been made alive to God. Which means we can enjoy relationship with God. Now the question that Psalm 84 forces us to answer is, are we enjoying this relationship with God? Do we have the same deep desire for God as the psalmist? In fact, listen to what the psalmist says again in verse 2. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Now that's deep desire, isn't it? Kind of sounds, sounds like maybe a love letter that you wrote when you were a teenager. It's his deep desire. There's longing and fainting and singing for joy. Now, does this sound like your experience? Do you long for more of God? Do you long for more of his presence? Do you sing for joy to him? In other words, are you so alive to God that God is why you live? Now, the truth is, most of us are not yet where we want to be. I'm not yet where I want to be. We can all grow deeper and closer to God. And this psalm helps us to get where we want to go. In fact, this psalm, Psalm 84, gives us three reasons why the presence of God is the greatest place in the universe. It gives us three motivating reasons to draw near to God. It says that when we draw near to God, He welcomes us, verses 3 to 4. He strengthens us, verses 5 to 9. And then he satisfies us, verses 10 to 12. So let's begin there with verses 3 to 4. He welcomes us. Now let me begin this way. Molly and I have been recently watching a TV show called The Good Place. Now it's about a, a lady named Eleanor Shellstrop who dies in an unfortunate accident and wakes up in the afterlife in The Good Place. Now, the good place is a heaven-like utopia that is highly selective about who they let in. It's designed as a reward for those who live, uh, lived a righteous life while they were on earth. 
And so it's filled with philanthropists and aid workers and human rights lawyers and so forth. Now it quickly becomes clear in the show that Eleanor has been sent there by mistake. (laughs) She has to learn very quickly to hide her morally imperfect behaviour and she has to learn to become a better and more ethical person. Because in the good place, only good people can find a home. And this is how most of us naturally think about God. If heaven is a place where we enter into God's presence, then that must be a place for the strong, the shiny, the put together, the good. Thankfully, Psalm 84 tells us something very different. Look at verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. A sparrow, I don't know if you know this, but it's one of the smallest and most common birds in the world. This is why in the Bible, sparrows are a symbol for something that's almost worthless. We're told in Matthew 10 that they were sold in the market for less than a cent. Yet here in Psalm 84, even the sparrow finds a home with God. In the fictional good place, only the good and the impressive and the shiny can find a home. In the very real kingdom of God, even the sparrow can find a home. And if even the sparrow can find a home with God, then so can we. And this is incredibly good news for failures and sinners like us. I mean, we all feel rather ordinary and average and unexceptional, don't we? And if you don't, you should. (laughs) Have you ever stood under the night sky and looked up? Have you ever stood on the edge of a mountain and looked down? Have you ever stood in a huge crowd of people and looked around you? Have you ever looked inwards at the thoughts of your mind, the desires of your heart? Now in those moments, you don't feel strong and significant and powerful. You feel very keenly a sense of your smallness and weakness and insignificance. And this is not a totally bad thing because if we want to truly come to know God, if we want to truly come alive to God, we must have a sense of our smallness and our sinfulness before God. Because it's only when we come to see ourselves as a sparrow that we will see our desperate need and truly receive God's abundant grace. And really, you find this truth all throughout the Bible. Jesus, when he came to earth, he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He said, for the Son of Man, that's a reference to himself, came to seek and to save the lost. According to Jesus, he came looking for the sinners, the sick, the lost. Now, unless you recognize yourself in those categories, you will not come to Jesus. You will not see your need for Jesus. Have you ever felt like a little sparrow in a big world? Like a speck in a great lump? 
like a cog in a great wheel? Have you ever wondered if you really matter to God? The answer of Psalm 84 is even the sparrow has found a home. And if even the sparrow can find a home, then so can we. Let me illustrate this by telling you a story from the life of Jesus. One afternoon, Jesus was on his way to the home of a man named Jairus. Jairus' daughter had been ill and so Jesus was going with him to help her. But on the way, Jesus is surrounded by a massive crowd. There are people all around him. They're so close to him, he can't even move. And suddenly Jesus cries out, Who touched me? Now the disciples are like, Jesus, are you serious? Everybody's touching you. But Jesus says, no, somebody touched me. I know that they did. Now eventually this poor woman steps forward. She's so ashamed she can barely lift her head. And she admits to reaching out to touching Jesus' garment. She came to Jesus with a desperate need. She said, if I can just touch his garment, I will be healed. And in the midst of that crowd, she reached out and she touched Jesus. And Jesus knew. In that throng of people, she was anonymous but not to Jesus. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And though you are one of billions in this world, though the world would try to make you believe that you don't really matter, that you're just a speck in a lump, a cog in a wheel, if you reach out in faith to Jesus Christ, he will say, I know you. And the God who knows everything will know you. The God who sees everything will see you. The God who holds everything will hold you. And the God who is love will love you. This is the glorious good news of Christianity. When we come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, he welcomes us. This is why the psalmist says in verse 4, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. There's no better place in the universe than the presence of God. And when we come to him, he welcomes us. Then what we see in verses 5 to 8 is that he strengthens us. Now the first part of the psalm assures us of the welcome we receive in the presence of God. The second part of the psalm tells us about the strength that we receive for the journey to God. Many scholars believe that this psalm was sung by travellers, by pilgrims, as they would travel to the temple in Jerusalem. And I mean, these verses describe a journey or a pilgrimage. We read in verse 5 of the highways to Zion. And then in verse 7, each one appears before God in Zion. Now Zion is used in a few different ways in the Bible, but what it essentially means is the dwelling place of God. These pilgrims, these travellers are on a journey towards God. And the truth is, so are we. The Christian life, the Christian faith is a, a journey, it's a pilgrimage. 
Now there's a sense in which we've already arrived. Right now, if you're in Christ, you are righteous. Right now, you have received the Holy Spirit. Right now, you are a member of God's family. These are present realities for us. But there's another sense in which we have not yet fully arrived. We're not yet fully glorified in God's immediate presence. We're still persevering towards the heavenly city. We're still pressing on towards the prize. I like what, uh, or the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases Philippians 3. Look at what he says. He says, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. The life of faith is a journey towards God. But the good news of Psalm 84 is that God is not just waiting for us at the finish line, though he is, but God is also with us, giving us strength on the journey. Verse 5, the psalmist says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Now, we all need strength, don't we? Life can be incredibly difficult at times. And what I love about this psalm is that it's realistic. A life that is awake and alive to God is not a life of ease. It's not a life that is free from pain and difficulty and hardship. I mean, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you know this. And the Bible is clear about this. In fact, we see this very truth in verse 6. We're told that the pilgrims go through the valley of Baca. Now, the valley of Baca literally means the valley of tears. The valley of weeping. Baca was a, a tree or a shrub that grew in really dry and arid places. And so the valley of Baca is a place of dryness, harshness, difficulty. And on our journey with God and to God, we will go through the valley of weeping. Times of spiritual dryness. Times of great difficulty and pain. The question is not if we will go through the valley. The question is how will we respond when we go through the valley? Now how do these pilgrims respond? What do they do when they go through the valley? The second half of verse 6. They make it a place of springs. Now this is describing the faith which dares to dig blessings out of hardships. Which dares to trust God right in the smack centre of that dry, harsh, difficult valley. This is the faith that David described in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Or it's the faith that Asaph described in Psalm 73. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or as Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great British preacher said, this is the whole secret of the Christian life. The more things go against us, the more they drive us to Christ. And the more we are with Christ, the happier we are. So we turn our valleys of Baca into wells and into places of Rejoicing. Of course, sometimes when we go through the dry valley, God chooses to send rain. Again, the, the last bit of verse 6, the early rain also covers it with pools. 
Sometimes in that place of dryness and difficulty, God will send rain. He will heal. He will restore. He will give relief. And of course, we're thankful when God does this. But either way, the Christian pilgrim can persevere through the valley. Not because everything's going to work out the way that we think it should, but because God is with us and he's waiting for us. And this is why the pilgrim can go from strength to strength. Verse 7. So can we put to bed the myth that to enjoy the presence of God means that your life will always be blessed and Instagrammable. That you will be all the time peaceful and prosperous. Everything will be put together and perfect. Can we just put that to the side because it's not true it's not what the Bible teaches if you follow Jesus you will go straight through the valley of weeping and what matters in that valley is not your strength because newsflash you're not strong enough what matters is the strength of the one who is with you and is waiting for you so you can keep going. Now how does God strengthen us? How does he do this? Because it's easy to say that, but what does that look like? Of course there's many, many different ways and let me just give you two. The first is prayer. It's no coincidence that after describing the journey to God and the difficulty of the journey, the psalmist immediately turns to prayer in verse 8 says, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Prayer is how we process what we're going through and how we receive power to keep on going. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but the book of Psalms, which is a big book, it is filled with Psalms of lament. One third of the book is Psalms of lament. Now what is that? Well, to lament is to express sorrow and grief and regret. And those psalms are all through the book. God is not afraid of your pain, your difficulty and your confusion. You can lay that before him and be honest with him and ask for his help. And the promise that he gives is that he will give you strength. First way God strengthens us is prayer. The second is through the church. You know, these pilgrims were on a journey to the temple to worship God. But they were not travelling alone. There were other pilgrims on the journey. And when they arrived, they would worship God with other worshippers. The Christian life is not an individualistic, solitary endeavour. In other words, it's not an individual sport, it's a team sport. God has not just placed us in relationship with Him, He's placed us in relationship with with one another in the church and we need one another Galatians chapter 6 says bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ God will strengthen you when you go through the valley of weeping through the hands in this room through the mouths in this room, 
through the arms in this room. Through the people in this room. And God wants to use your hands and your mouth and your life to strengthen others. I know that it costs to to come here and to worship God and to serve others, time and all different kinds of things. And I know there are so many distractions and things that would keep us away. But let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Hebrews 10.25 Let's not be seduced by individualism and leisure and lack of commitment. Let's devote ourselves to God and to one another. Let's make corporate worship a rock in our schedule around which other things have to flow. Not because we have to do it to earn God's love and to earn God's favour, but because blessed is the one who dwells in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed is the one whose strength is in you. The presence of God is the greatest place in the universe because number one, he welcomes us so graciously, so freely. Number two, he strengthens us. And then finally, he satisfies us. Look at what we read in verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. In other words, better is one day with God than a thousand days relaxing in the Maldives. Than a thousand days in Disneyland, the the so-called happiest place on earth. Fill in the blank. The psalmist is saying the presence of God is more satisfying than any other place on earth. Wow. He goes on, he says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Better to just be on the threshold of God's house than in the corridors of power in Canberra. Or in the after party of the Oscars or wherever else. The lowest position with God is more satisfying than the most prominent position on earth. In other words, he's saying what Asaph said in Psalm 73. I desire nothing on earth but you. Now I wonder if if that's true of you. It's certainly not always true of me. I mean, when I get out of bed in the morning, my thoughts don't automatically go to God. They automatically go to my to-do list. I need to reorient my heart towards God. I need to remind myself of who he is. This is why the psalmist says in verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. God is a sun. He gives life and life and health. God is a shield. He defends and protects us. Now we're all looking for life. We're all looking for protection. We're all looking for a happy place. The problem is is that we often look in the wrong place. C.S. Lewis said human history is the long terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago what Brad Pitt said in an interview with Rolling Stone magazine. Remember, he said, the emphasis now is on success and personal gain, what I can get, what I can do, what I can build up. Now listen to what Brad says. I'm sitting in it, and I'm telling you, that's not it. 
I'm the guy who's got everything, I know. But I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. It doesn't help you sleep any better and you don't wake up any better because of it. Now, no one's going to want to hear that. I understand. I'm sorry. I'm the guy who's got to say it. I'm telling you. Now, we were made to have our deep longings satisfied, but they will only be satisfied in the God who made us and the God who loves us. The presence of God is the most blessed, the happiest place in the universe. And when we come to him, he welcomes us, he strengthens us, and he satisfies us. Verse 11, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now to walk uprightly is not to walk perfectly. That word does not say perfectly, it says uprightly. Now that means to walk by faith. To walk through the mountaintops and the valleys of life with faith and trust in God. And the promise is that if you will walk through this life with faith in God, you will not miss out. No good thing does he withhold. In other words, you will never think to yourself, if you live a life of trusting in God, I regret that. I regret trusting God. You'll never think that. Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Oh, listen, the blessed people in this life are not the Brad Pitts the rich and the powerful and the successful and the whatever else. The blessed person is the person who trusts in God. It's the person who has given themselves completely to God. And we can completely and freely and totally give ourselves to God because God has freely and totally given himself to us. Verse 11 says, No good thing does he withhold. The truth is, he did not even withhold his only son. He sent Jesus Christ from heaven to earth and he came for the sick, the sinful, the lost, for me. So that we can stand forgiven, loved and accepted in the presence of Almighty God. So that even the sparrow can find a home with God. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I'll close with this, explained how this helps us. Whatever we're facing. He says, would you like to be rid of this spiritual depression? And I would add, would you like to enjoy the presence of God? Would you like to know God deeply like the psalmist in Psalm 84? The first thing to do is to say farewell now and forever to your past. Never look back at your sins again. Say it is finished, it is covered by the blood of Christ. Take that step and finish with yourself and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only then that true happiness and joy are possible for you. You just begin to say, I rest my faith on him alone who died for my sins to atone.
The greatest thing in life is to know God. The happiest of happy places is the presence of God. And God has done everything for us to know him. God has freely given himself to us. Let's freely give ourselves to him. Heavenly Father, we still our hearts before you right now in this moment. Lord, there are some of us here this morning who need to give ourselves to you totally and completely for the first time. We need to rest our faith on Jesus alone who died for our sins to atone. There are, there's others of us here this morning, Lord, and we need to give ourselves to you afresh. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And that describes some of us right now. And we want to come back. And we want to rest our faith on Jesus anew here this morning. Lord, you know us. Our hearts are laid bare before you. And so we lay ourselves before you now in complete trust and surrender with the promise that you welcome us, you strengthen us, and you satisfy us. Let me pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond now by coming to Lord's Supper. Now Lord's Supper reminds us of all that God has done to bring us to himself through Jesus Christ. On the night before he went to the cross, Jesus took bread, we read in Matthew 26, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them.